All good things must come to an end, and that includes our Elijah series. Today, I'm going to be sharing with you from the last instalment of Elijah's journey. And it's looking at the story of him passing over his leadership and his prophetic role to Elisha. This wasn't a fast handover in terms of a general resignation where someone hands in their paperwork, then you know God starts advertising for a new prophet, someone fills in an application, gets the job, and then they turn up on the kind of the same day the old one leaves. It, it didn't happen like that. It, it was about six to eight years it took for Elijah to hand over his ministry to Elisha. So with that in mind, this, theme, this message is themed, standing strong while passing the baton on. And some words of encouragement for those of you who are doing anything that you know someday you'll have to pass on to somebody else. And there's also some wisdom for those of you who are perhaps aspiring and wanting to do more and to give more in your life. And just as a small spoiler alert, I'm not going to be sharing this message entirely on my own. So I want to say thanks in advance to Harriet and Jessica who are going to help me later on. Uh, But just for a moment, I'm going to explain the baton analogy to you. Most of you will probably be familiar, but just to to show you, I'm just going to ask Harriet to come up, and you can meet Harriet if you haven't already. Hey, Harriet. Thank you. Uh, So my phone is going to be a baton, and we're just going to demonstrate in slow motion. If you want to stand a little bit close this way so you don't run off the stage, that would be good. Risk assessments and all. (laughs) Thanks. So just a moment, we're going to slow motion describe the process of passing the baton on. Here you go. Thank you, Harriet. <laughs> it's a fairly classic leadership exchange model. The runner comes up, the person in front starts moving before the baton's handed, and then it's handed over, and then the first one leaves. But the story of Elijah and Elijah, they have Elisha, they have this in it, but they go so much deeper and they, they show us some really good guidance of how to have a faithful and God-honoring transition of role or of leadership and handing over of responsibilities. Over the last four weeks, we have heard about the continued obedience of Elijah during his ministry. He faced a lot of challenges. You know, most people in ministry feel like everyone's out to get them. In Elijah's case, everyone really was out to get him. He faced consistent death threats from leaders and rulers and the people, but yet he showed compassion. He performed miracles. God provided for him. God told him to rest and told him to have food and led him to a mountaintop. It was there that God spoke to him, not with a show of great power, but with a gentle whisper. And this is where we pick the story up from today. Elijah is on the mountain. He's been wanting to quit, well, wanting to die. And God had given him strength and patience and then spoke to him. Now, what do you think God might say to someone who is at that time where they were ready to just pack it all in? You've got this. Keep it up, man. You can do it. Great things are yet to come. But let's have a read. So looking at 1 Kings chapter 19. Then the Lord told him, Go back the way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazael to be king of Aram. Then appoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. And appoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel-Malahi, to replace you as my prophet. While Elijah was hoping for his resignation, or perhaps a miracle, God gave him three tasks and a promise. And one of those tasks 
was to appoint his successor. In generally speaking, when someone's feeling disheartened, they will likely either stop or just keep going towards a burnout. But both a sudden stop or the crash and burn will likely create pain, hurt, frustration. But this story of interaction between God and Elijah gives us a model for a better way. You see, there is hope that can be found in passing the batter on. In a long relay, as the runner's coming up, starting to feel tired, he's looking eagerly for that next person to pass it on to. And when they see their teammate, they're filled with this new burst of energy as they know they're just that little bit closer to finishing. And so they burst forward with energy as they keep up with this new fresh runner as they start to run. This burst of energy comes from hope, the potential joy of reaching our goal. For a relay runner, this might be just a minute, but for Elijah and for many who are raising up the next generation, this can take a lot longer. So this word that God gave to Elijah to anoint his successor and the promise that there will be 7,000 people at least who will stay faithful to God will give him hope. The end is in sight and the journey has not been in vain. And now, at least, he wouldn't be running alone. So with these three tasks, to anoint this king, anoint that king, and to appoint a successor, which one do you think Elijah does first? Well, he goes and finds Elijah. Elisha. It's always going to get the tongue tied. <laughs> now, as a scatterbrained extrovert, I know the value of body doubling. If there's a task I don't want to do, I just call a friend and have them on the phone while I you know, pull my clothes or do the dishes. Uh, or if I'm on a long drive and I'm a bit bored and just need company, I just you know, call someone up with you know, hands-free and everything. Uh, and just that process of having someone with me means I can, I can do all kinds of things that otherwise I would find really painful. Now, I don't really get the impression that Elijah was necessary, necessarily as scatterbrained as me or as extroverted, but it does seem that he understands the value of just having someone else along the journey with you. So Elijah was so ready. He was ready to share what he had, his power, and it turns out, ready to share his clothes. So let me explain that. We'll continue with the reading. So Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him, threw his cloak on his shoulders, and then walked away. Elijah's cloak was the keeper of his power. It was covered in fur and possibly resembled something like a lion's mane. It was like Moses' staff or the king's crown or the keys to the castle. But that's not the strangest thing in this verse, is it? Elijah didn't ceremoniously put his cloak on or share the power. There was no like ceremony or ordination process here. He just like handed in the keys and walked away. It'd be kind of like if on a Sunday afternoon the urn started breaking down and then the coffee cart wasn't working and then we ran out of sugar and I was just like, oh, that's it, I've had it. And I just look around the room, find someone who looks responsible and goes, here, have my keys. So unlike a mass amount of occasions in history and present day, rulers, leaders, musicians, keepers of the coffee and cleaning supplies, Elijah had no troubles in handing over his power. Elisha must have been pretty stunned when this happened. 
you know, this great big prophetic ruler comes and hands him the keys and walks away. What do you do? You just go, what just happened? Because the next thing we read is that Elisha is left standing there at the oxen. And then he ran after Elijah and said to him, okay, but first let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, then I will go with you. You may recall a story of Jesus when he asked someone to follow him. And they said, well, first let me go back and bury my father. Well, in this instance, it was more about waiting around the long haul, waiting for the parents to pass away and to complete the process of that. And Jesus was like, well, look, you've got to love me a little bit more than that. But this this story is a bit different. Elisha was literally just going to go and say goodbye. Maybe have a farewell party and be on the road the next day. He was super keen. And this is pretty important for handing the baton on. To hand it over to somebody who wants to take it. But I have to say, this is pretty rare in most cultures today. Generally, when people approach someone to do something, there is great hesitancy. And if someone's over-eager, we sometimes read it as a bit of a red flag. You see, when someone is super-eager, we might think that they just want the honour. They want the privilege, the pride, the position, the respect. But they don't really understand the challenges that's going to go with it. Like, maybe they just want to be praised, but they're not willing to put the hard work in. So to avoid giving this impression, we have developed this very reserved and cautious disposition. And we learn it when we're young. We learn it when we're a teenager as part of a social instinct preservation tactic. And it starts to play out in all areas of our life where we try not to appear too eager or too excited. I recall when I was at training college and it was the classic share your story day. And it was a consistent theme that I'd heard so many times before. I really didn't want to go to ministry. I didn't want to be a minister. But then God just kept prodding and he kind of told me I had to do it. It was a culture of reluctance that had been created, created, where it seemed to be better to be more humble and play it cool. When I shared my story, I didn't hide my eagerness for ministry. But perhaps there is a valid reason why we are cautious when people are over-eager. I, I was quiet indeed. I was, I was naive to the challenges. I had no idea what was going to be in store for me. My over-eagerness was surely a sign that I did not know how hard it was going to be. So perhaps Elisha didn't know the kind of suffering that Elijah had faced. He didn't know the risks that were going to be involved. So after Elisha eagerly says, I'll just say goodbye and I'm totally there, Elijah replies, all right, that's cool, bro, but maybe think about it for a minute first. This shows really healthy leadership from Elijah, especially when he seems equally keen to hand it over. See, sometimes when we're trying to hold on to a position, we might rebuke the over-eagerness. Or if we're really keen to let it go, we might be happy to jump at the first willing hand that comes. But because of this, I've seen so many unhealthy people in positions of responsibility because burnt-out leaders were too quick to hand over the reins. And I've seen eager and willing people become discouraged and cynical because no one seemed willing to let them have a go. So after this initial drop the keys and run thing, Elijah does end up showing us a really good balance for sharing the power. 
What Elijah does is something like what we today would call informed consent. He's so ahead of his times. Good for a prophet. It's so great for people to be keen, but we need to make sure that they know what they are signing up for so that they can have an honest idea of the expectations. Now, I have to warn you, I don't like this next verse. The meaning I like, the meaning I'm down with, but, but the specifics of it, I, I quite struggle with. See, it seems Elisha thought about what Elijah was giving him, and he realized that it was going to be challenging. So keeping with his keen as attitude, he got rid of the means to just go home when it got tough, and he turned the instruments of his work into a parting gift for his community. I know many people who have done similar things when going into mission or ministry. They sell their homes and disconnect from the community that they're a part of. And I've spoken to a number of them during tough times and I've frequently heard them say things like, if I hadn't have sold my home, I would have gone home now. I would have left. So while Elijah showed a healthy way to share his power, Elisha shows us a healthy way to say goodbye. This isn't a directive to literally burn the ships, but it guides us as we have closure so that we can leave our past and commit to our future. It encourages us to finish well, to say goodbye, and to follow God's lead with eagerness and commitment. But all right, let's, let's read this verse so you know what I'm talking about. And I apologise to any other super sensitive animal lovers like me in the room. So Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plough to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople and they all ate. And then he went with Elijah as his assistant. So now we have the next six to eight years. Times are still tough and Elisha is pretty much just in the shadows. We don't see his name appear for a while, but we know that he is there. In all this time, Elijah is just continuing on with Elisha's help as he prepares to retire and hand it over. Then the story we read that follows on from this, when we next see Elisha's name, it has so many elements to cover, and there could be a whole like, month and a half worth of sermons in this one chapter. We could spend so long wondering about how Elijah knew that the, that certain day was going to be his last. We could talk about whether they really walked 40 kilometres in one day, or about the power that was in this cloak that parted waters, or even about how it was that Elijah parted that the Lord took him away, that he didn't die. He was taken up to heaven in a whirlwind. These things are important. They inform our faith and understanding and they show light of prophecies towards Jesus. But they're not the only point in this passage and they're not the point of our focus today. See, Elisha followed Elijah to the end. Three times, Elijah told Elisha to stay behind. This was on the 40-kilometer walk, by the way. So three times, he's like, it's okay, Elisha, you stay here. And three times, Elijah said, no, I will not leave you. And on reaching their destination, this is what happens. This is from 2 Kings chapter 2. When they came to the other side, Elijah told Elisha to stay. And three times, Elisha said, I will never leave you. When they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I am taken away. And Elisha replied, Please let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah replied. If you see me when I am taken from you, then you will get your request. 
But if not, then you won't. It is hard to imagine this happening in our generally pretty polite culture. Picture a boss's farewell party, and the person taking their job is at the party, and the boss says to the successor, you've been so good for me, what, what can I do for you? And, and the person there says, well, I want to do even more than you, I want to be better than you. Like, look, honestly, we probably all think this when coming into a new job, but no one ever actually says it out loud. But our super keen, our super eager Elijah, he has not lost his further in the six to eight years that he spent following Elijah. And our super patient Elijah, he has not lost his honesty or his grace in taking emotionally a healthy approach to this transition of power. Our choice to follow Jesus means that we have this story in our toolkit. It has been shared with us to guide us to continue God's work through healthy transitions. It's in there to share about the prophecy of Jesus who is to come and how he hands his power onto us to do his work, to do imaginably, unimaginably more than we could ever ask or imagine. Elijah's story concludes in this way. As they were walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two men, separating them, and Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, I see the chariots and charioteers of Israel. In Elisha seeing this happen, I'm reminded of the beatitude. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Elisha was given sight to see the things of God. And he went on to perform twice as many miracles as Elijah. Yet it's still Elijah whose name was remembered. It is Elijah who is referenced in later times. It is Elijah who springs to mind when we think of who the greatest prophet of the Old Testament was. Even though the spirit that was in Elisha was double of that of what Elijah had. The followers of Jesus, that's us have gone on to do so much more collectively than Jesus did in his life. But the glory is not ours. The spirit we have is God's spirit given to us, multiplied, as the church grows through each generation. Elijah obeyed the word of God, which led him to Elisha. Elijah shared his power willingly and encouraged the super keen Elisha to properly think before diving in. Elijah stayed by his side for a long time to help him to learn and grow. In faithfulness and trust, Elisha kept his fervor and Elijah his patience. Elijah got to rest and be with God and Elisha received a double portion and he used it to follow faithfully, to rebuke the corrupt and guide the people. So what does this mean for you and me today? If you're looking for more in life, if you're someone who is waiting in the wings or not quite sure how to use what God has given you for his purpose and for this big picture, I want you to know a few things. Firstly, it's okay to be eager. Don't let our culture tell us that we have to hide our eagerness away. It is okay to be eager. And it's totally okay to think first before diving in. 
We should finish well and say goodbye before we leave one thing and move on to the next. That you can look to the future and leave your past behind. Faithfully follow, follow your leaders, your guides, and learn from them. Be bold and ask for what it is that you need. But always keep your eyes on God and on the bigger picture. When it comes time to hand over responsibilities, this is the encouragement I want to give to you today. To seek God's wisdom first. Listen and obey. And don't be put off by the over-eagerness of someone who is coming after you. Help someone to think it through before they commit. Let them know what it is they're in for. And stay with them for a bit longer than you might like. Give them opportunity to leave. Don't hold them captive to this. And be okay with them wanting more than what you had. I think it's totally okay for future generations to want more in the world than what we have. And the hope is that those that come after them will have even more and more and use it to continue the ministry of Jesus. Now, look, our young people today, they may not be as keen as Elisha was. And they likely have their own fears, worries and concerns. But that does not mean they are not willing. And my hope for all of us is that we can stand strong while we pass the baton on to them. To encourage us further, I want to share with you the thoughts of some of our young people in the church. These are the things that they have said. I would like to help with Lakes Juniors, but I'm afraid I might do the wrong things when leading activities. If I do, please show me my mistakes so I can fix it. And someone said, Something I would love to be involved in is fundraising. I want to make an effort to change someone's life. However, I am unsure how to organise this or how I can do this in the church community. Could I get some advice on how to go about this? And another of our young people said, I would love to be able to have a role in serving our community in and outside the church when I'm older, but I do not have the resources nor the information that I need to do it. Will you teach me and be by my side while I learn? And another, I would like to lead Lakes Kids Junior so they can learn more about the Bible, but I don't think I'm ready yet. But I would like people to show me and let me have a go. I would love to speak up the front leading a sermon but I'm not sure if I will get judged or say the right thing because I'm young. Will you encourage me and guide me to do this? I hope to one day day lead youth. I struggle with confidence. Will you encourage and uplift me along the way? When I grow up, I would like to sing on stage and be a part of the music ministry, but I am worried with everyone looking at me, it would be scary to sing on stage. It would be good if you could encourage and help me work up to that. Will you pray for us? Hey, before you guys go, do you want to come back up and we'll pray for you? Thank you. This is off script. <laughs> Alrighty. Thank you, Father God, that you love kids and um, young adults more than we can imagine and more than we ever can. We thank you so much for your love for each of your people. And we just thank you, um, looking at Harriet and Jess, we just thank you so much for people who um, love you and want to grow in their walk for you. 
And we just pray for our kids and our young people here at the Lakes Church, Father God, that you would um, instill in them a love for you, that they'd want to grow in their walk for you. Father God, we pray that each of them would grow up to be men and women after your own heart. And we just, I want to pray this um, bit at the end of Ephesians 6 for them. Finally, you guys, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. And Father God, we just pray too that our church community here at the Lakes Church would be an encouraging community, a, a, um, a community that would pray for our young people, that we'd support them, that we would do what we can to build them up in your word and um, point them towards truth and who you are. And we pray this, Father God, in your name and for your glory. Amen.